at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, November 22nd, 2023 edition. And that means we are one day away from Thanksgiving. So a special happy Thanksgiving to all of you. I hope uh, everyone has some exciting plans for tomorrow. Now, as you, not I want to say as usual, but uh, we have a special uh, guest with us, and that is Luke Guerrero. I know, Luke, you are a big Thanksgiving fan, aren't you? I am a big Thanksgiving fan as well as a big Thanksgiving Eve fan. Ah, well, that's today. Um, and uh, is, is that because of the football tomorrow? Is that what it is? Honestly, I'm not sure why I like turkey? it so much. I think it's mostly because, you know, when you go home for Thanksgiving, as I always do, you see friends that you haven't seen in a while. It's the one time a year that a lot of people go back to their hometown and see each other. It's nice. Yeah. And it's usually a, a rowdy Wednesday night, too, before Thanksgiving. So, but uh, that means today we are, we're, we're going to take our, our steps towards, another step towards helping you in your journey um, towards Thanksgiving, towards the end of the year, and into 2024. And I also want to mention that today marks the 60th anniversary of the assassination of President Kennedy in Dallas, Texas, all those years ago. And uh, it's a pretty interesting time. And it marks a uh, stock market shock back then. The S&P plunged 2.8%, and Wall Street shut down the NYSE that day as well. And so these market shocks can happen, but we know that they're confined typically to a single day. And the market had regained all of its losses just two days later. So another interesting uh, little anniversary today, but that was uh, 60 years ago today. Now, I'm Justin Klein with Luke Guerrero, and our goal is to answer your questions. And Keep in mind that we're here to provide you with useful data as well as unbiased perspective with developed with over 20 years of investment experience. And we're going to talk about the market performance today. We're going to run down some show topics, but right after we answer our first caller question now. Hi, Justin and Steve. Uh, this is Dan from Walnut Creek. And I had a question on a stock, A.O. Smith Corporation, Buxable AOS. I purchased a small lot in November of last year, 2022. And it's up 33% since then. I was wondering what you think about the future of the stock. Any information would be loudly accepted. Thanks very much. Bye. All right. Looking at AOS Smith AO Corporation. And I'm sorry, AO Smith Corporation. <laughs> it's a name we actually used to own uh, for some clients. Uh, recently sold it. Um, Luke, I know the, one of the reasons we sold it was getting a bit uncomfortable with the exposure to China. Uh, and their, their revenue there. Uh, what are you seeing? Yeah, I'm seeing they have good margins. They have pretty low debt. You're right in that they have about 21% uh, 
of their revenue exposure to China. But what really is, is signaling to me is not only that, generally speaking, the target price for most analysts is around 76, which is just where we are right now, but they're also trading at a uh, backwards-looking multiple price earnings of 385 which is way above their average of 26. He said that he purchased it a year ago, which means that you're just about, if not already, past the threshold for making it a long-term capital gain. So maybe now would be the time to think about trimming. Yeah, certainly overbought near term, but so is the market over, uh, in general. Now, next year, they are supposed to make about $4 per share. So that puts out about a 19 times forward-looking earnings, which is you know about the market multiple. So uh, I wouldn't say... You know, I think the simple answer here is it's overbought. Uh, it is probably fairly valued, maybe if not slightly overvalued, but not to a dramatic degree. But it's a good company, good margins. What I like the most about it, what we like the most about it, no debt, pretty much. Uh, net cash on its balance sheet and history of consistent cash flow and consistent profitability. So, you know, it's a good company at a fair price, but a bit overbought at the time. All right. Now, we have a lot of ground to cover in the next 40 minutes. Our main focus point looks in the story behind this question. What are the rules for cashing out your IRA? And as you age, the rules for withdrawing money from your IRAs do change. We're going to talk about IRA withdrawal guidelines, how that differs between your traditional IRA versus Roth IRA, and timing for withdrawing from your IRA overall. We also are going to touch on a few other topics. One is in regards to the EV push and kind of how that is going right now, how that feeds into current demand for EVs, as well as the demand for the, all the metals that go into uh, EVs as well. And then we're going to look at a news out of the UK, which is likely to put pressure on the businesses of Visa and MasterCard. And the question is, is this a sign of more things to come? And then lastly, Binance founder, how do you pronounce his name? Is it, it Cheng Pen Zhao? I think he just goes by CZ mostly. CZ, okay. That's probably why he goes by CZ. Uh, well, CZ stepping down and he's pleading guilty to some major charges. So we're going to look at that story as well. We also have some voice spent questions. One is on Match Group and the other Peloton. Now let's talk about the market performance today. Modest up day going into the holiday tomorrow. And we do have a, a half day on Friday, typically a very boring day in the market. So not nobody should expect much uh, around that. Uh, but I didn't really see much exciting news or movements. The biggest news, actually, uh, that I saw was out of, uh, I think it was Argentina. A lot of those uh, positions moved a lot. What did you see, Luke? Yeah, I think the biggest single story was probably from NVIDIA. Their Q3 results and guidance were well ahead of consensus, but some some analysts are worried that given export controls, they might not be able to hit hit their Q4 targets, and so their price declined by 2.5%. But really what, what I focused on today is, is the VIX, which for all those who don't know is a volatility index that tracks the implied volatility of short-term S&P futures and essentially looks at the conviction of, of trading in the market. Typically, when the VIX is high, it's times of, of stress. There's a lot of volatility. When the VIX is low, it's the opposite. And it's actually continuing its longest downward slide since October 2015. Yeah, that's a 
that's a big trend and, and low volatility is good for markets good for asset prices i mean people aren't worried about much there's not a lot of major movements uh when there's not a lot of major movements it typically means move moves higher because money naturally because of 401ks and and automatic savings programs etc uh drips dividend reinvestment plans etc money is flowing into the market and so if there's not a big reason for the market to sell uh, it typically goes up and so that's why the that's why a, a low vix is, is good for asset prices um some interesting ones of note for me were uh tesla down 2.9 percent on a so overall probably on average about a half percent update across the board and uh, nvidia like you said had those earnings and it rallied into earnings the classic buy the rumors, sell the news. And a lot of people say, well, oh, they beat earnings. Why, why is it not? Well, remember the market's pricing this in and then you have people taking profits on that news. So very common to see something like that happen. All right. Well, that was the market today. We're going to go to a quick break. But remember, you can call anytime and leave your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. If you're listening via our live stream or on AM 1220 radio in the Silicon Valley area, you can call right now at 888-99-CHART. When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast, how do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds. And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap, because there's a lot of regulatory risk. And Steve Peasley. I, I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson Food, this is where I'd buy it. Benefit the entire Invest Talk community. Thank you for what you guys do. That's why 24-7, rain or shine, no matter how simple or how complex, your questions make a difference. Symbol BKE, what's your outlook? And Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. So don't forget to call 888 99Chart. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy and discipline. And along the way, you're sure to have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Justin. This is Frank from Los Angeles, longtime listener of the show. I have a question about Match Group, ticker symbol MTCH. The company dropped heavily after in the last quarterly earnings announced a decrease in pay years. However, top line of margins are increasing and the CFO has been very direct in saying that they don't care about the number of payers per se, as long as they increase top line. And in the latest strategy move, they indeed increase prices. So it's only normal that you would uh, shed some payers, I guess. I believe the stock is cheap uh, based on fundamentals and I think they have the advantage of being the biggest player in what is basically a duopoly um, since their only competitor is uh, uh, is Bumble. And this setup, we'd just like to appreciate your uh, opinion on the stock and if you think it is a good price to uh, pick some up. Thank you very much. I'll be listening on the show. 
are looking at Match Group, and they have a large suite of dating apps from Tinder to Hinge, Match.com, obviously, Plenty of Fish, OkCupid, etc. And like you said, they're kind of a duopoly. Um, but you know, I think the big question is, are they staying ahead of the trends? It's pretty easy for people to set up these dating profiles and switch from one to the other. Um, and probably have, have multiple as well. Um, so I could see why they are, are struggling to get people to pay for it. Um, and, and to me, it's, I think the CEO is kind of putting some shine on the numbers and saying, hey, we still have quote unquote active users. And that may be true, right? But will those users, if they're not using that platform often, actually continue or, you know, continue to pay or eventually pay? Probably not. So, um, you know, the trends in earnings or expectations were pretty good, but now they're being downgraded as of late. And that's why I think the stock remains weak. Um, so to me, it's telling me that the chart's telling me that you stay away from this for now, at least. Luke, what are your thoughts? You know, they have a lot of debt. They got over $3 billion in debt on an $8 billion market cap company. I think for me, when I think about Match Group and, and dating apps and their success over the past three years with the exclusion of the last year, I think maybe it might be one of those businesses that is emblematic of the pandemic and people not being able to meet other people in person. And because of that, their cash flow improved a little bit, their earnings improved a little bit. But now that we're not in that phase of the world anymore, it might be more difficult to get people to commit to pay a weekly, monthly fee uh, just to meet people on their phone. Mm-hmm. Well, and it could be a cyclical thing as well. Right? People are tightening their belts, so they're going to pay the premium to the premium service for these dating apps. Do they want to go out on dates? Maybe less. Maybe they can't afford to go out on as many dates. So why pay for a dating app uh, to make that happen? I think that could be a potential as well. You know, I, I, I just, you know, Bumble stock is down as well. So they're not, they're not hitting out of the park um, on their side either. So I do think this is a name to keep on your watch list, but because, because, because I like the fact that it's a duopoly that they have some good franchises within the dating app space, but, when the trend is this bad, when the relative strength sits at, what are we at, 18? 16, I'm sorry, 16. Um, that's pretty bad. I'm it's sorry, an interesting business is- model, too, if you think about it, because their customer's goal is to never pay again. Yeah. Yeah, but there's always, there's always new singles coming on board, right? This is true. There's always new singles uh, at some point. Uh, that's coming out of, you know, from the the ranks of the youth or, you know, divorces or whatever. Um, so it's a, it's a constant vicious cycle, but uh, both of these names, Bumble and match continue to struggle. And I don't see any reason why you want to jump on board right now. You want to wait for some technical strength and uh, you know, for the trends in their earnings to turn back up, which that's not happening right now. All right. Thanks for the call. Now we're moving into a break still to come. My main focus point sets up the story behind this question. What are the rules for cashing out your IRA? And as you age, the rules of withdrawing money, they change. So we're going to hit on that next on Best Talk at 888-99-CHART. And the issue here is that the prices 
just run away from the fundamentals. Got a question for Steve or Justin? You're the best person to ask it. 888-99-CHART. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are ready to answer your finance and investment questions. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. All right, now our focus point today is set up by this question. What are the rules for cashing out your IRA? And we know that there are differences between your traditional IRA and your Roth IRA. And we've talked before about the likely need for people to do Roth conversions, especially between the age of retirement and the age of RMDs. And RMD the RMD age has changed. It used to be 70 and a half for decades. And then it moved to 72. And now it's at 73, thanks to the Secure Act 2.0. And that means that you can wait until, the eight, until April 1st of the year after which you turn 73 to take your initial RMD. Then after that, you need to start taking annual withdrawals from your traditional SEP IRA, simple IRAs, even your 401k by December 31st every single year. And it's based on previous year's IRA or account balance, whatever that account balance is, uh, those account balances. So you can add up all of your IRAs um, and you divide it by what is called a life expectancy factor. What's interesting here, in, interesting here, Luke, is that the expectancy factor for when you do it 73 is 26 and a half years. So does that mean the IRS is expecting you to live to 99 and a half if you actually make it to 73? Sounds like it. Sounds like it. And I'm sure if you do, they will collect taxes from you every single year until you die. They will because they will force you to uh, take, that, take that money out. Now, there are different rules if you have an inherited IRA. And obviously a Roth IRA, there's, you're exempt. You, don't, you, you paid your taxes, whether you did that via Roth conversion or just a standard contribution to a Roth IRA, you don't have to take money out at all, okay? Because Uncle Sam got their money. Now, this is tax at ordinary income tax rate. Remember that. And there are major penalties if you don't take your required RMD. And it's 50%. Basically saying, hey, we're going to charge you a 50% tax bracket if you don't make your RMD distribution. Um, so it's very important to make sure you have an advisor that goes over this with you and can help guide you. I know we, get, we can see on our platform, on our Schwab platform, what everyone's, all of our clients' RMDs are for any given year. Um, so... Hopefully your broker provide that. Maybe it doesn't, um, but it's it's something that you certainly have to calculate. The IRS does have that life expectancy table that will give you what you do. You take your <clears throat> total value of that your IRAs, the close of the previous previous year, divided by that life expectancy factor, and that gives you your RMD. Anything to add, Luke? No, I think that covers it except just to emphasize that, you know, tax law and such things that affect, uh, especially people in retirement, is incredibly complex. And so there is a huge benefit to having a financial advisor and other qualified investment professional, you know, along with you in that journey into retirement. 
Yeah, especially because you you want to have somebody that has done this before um, that can look at your entire picture. They may not know your income picture, um, but uh, give you general guidelines of where to focus on how to uh, how to do. Especially, I think most important is are those Roth conversions. I think you can save a lot by timing Roth conversions effectively, but that does take typically a tax professional, somebody that can understand your tax brackets, where that tax bracket might, where you might hit that next tax bracket and maybe try to keep you under that. Um, and I think that would be very helpful if you can have a good CPA. This, that's, that's where I think a CPA is uh, very valuable in those tax planning strategies. All right, let's squeeze in another caller question now. Hi, this is Ben from Ohio. My question is about pharmaceutical stocks, Compass Pathways, CMPS, and Atai Life Sciences, ATAI. This is more so in the psychedelic or like ketamine space. I was hoping to get your thoughts on which ones are better or would you even enter this space now and they're pre-revenue just phase two, not even phase three products. Thank you. All right, looking at Compass Pathways, this is out of the UK, and they're focused on psilocybin treatment. So that would be your medicinal mushrooms. And then ATAI, uh, this is, where is this? Is this also out of the UK? Uh, Germany? Uh, It's business in the US and Germany, okay. And this is focused on... Like I said, oh, so so this one does focus on uh, not just ketamine, but also psilocybin, and it looks like a few others. Both are uh, super high risk biotech names. Don't earn any money. Just will continue to uh, probably issue shares and dilute shareholders into oblivion. Um, so, and that's that's just the typical run of the mill biotech company. I call them the original Ponzi stocks, right? Selling a dream that they'll find some cure for cancer. In this case, it's probably a cure for depression or some sort of medical, uh, sorry, some psychological disorders. Um, But both are just losing money and will probably lose money into the, you know, probably near future and and beyond. Um, So I, while they probably have some benefits, Luke, would you jump in now? Especially given the macro environment, I wouldn't jump in now. I think if you're going to invest in, in one of these names or names like this, you have to be ready to stomach some hefty losses. Yeah. And so these are the original story stocks. And you know how, how we feel about story stocks. So I'm passing on both. All right. We're ready to take your calls. I'm Justin Klein with Luke Guerrero. Give us a call at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, 
bumpers, whatever your baby needs. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck, because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. All right, now let's talk a little bit about the EV transition. And what's interesting of late is that the space in general uh, is is under pressure. I talked about Tesla being down 2.9% today, but that was just, just one day, obviously. But it is now in a downtrend. Uh, but so are a lot of the prices for the metals that go into EVs. Lithium, cobalt, uh, et cetera, are, are all down pretty substantially. Lithium's down 60% this year. Nickel, graphite, and cobalt have lost about 30%. And... The big factor here, Luke, is just weaker demand, not just out of China, which is going through its own struggles, uh, but even Tesla. You know, they downgraded their expectations for for sales. And a lot of the major car companies who have been uh, plowing headlong into the EV space have started to pull back from their ambitious goals. Ford cited that recently, a recent pullback in demand for downsizing its Michigan battery plant. So, you know, is the EV transition going slower, I guess, than most people are like, especially the Biden administration? Yeah, well, I think maybe people misjudged the implementation from the outset. Mm -hmm. So what they were trying to do was completely transform cyclical industry. And not only are auto manufacturers and car companies dependent on consumer demand, 
but the materials that go into building those cars are commodities that tend to be incredibly volatile and are dependent on the macro demand picture. And so when you have this plan that says in 15 years we're going to be fully transitioned into electric vehicles, you're ignoring the fact that although for the previous 10 years we've been in sustained economic growth, that's not the inevitable outcome. It's, it's not. You're, and that's like, like when they do the budget office projections going forward, they never price in a recession, right? Um, and so, you know, same thing with EV transition. There's going to be fits and starts. Now, I'm still a firm believer that plug-in hybrids are a more efficient way to go. You can create four plug-in hybrids with the amount of battery material for one EV. Um, so if you – and you can operate a plug-in hybrid for, you know, 80 to 90% of the time on, on, on just electricity. So – but – and I think eventually probably they'll figure it out. Maybe it'll be the major car companies who already have expertise in internal combustion engines. You know, kind of every car will be like a Prius of some sort. Um, but so far, electric vehicles only account for 8% of U.S. auto sales in the third quarter. Now, the Biden administration wants that to be 50% of all new vehicles by 2030. That's, we're almost in 2024. So you're talking six years away. That seems a bit ambitious. Now, a, a lot of people within the mining industry are saying, hey, we need higher prices. They've kind of been complaining, if it seems like to me. <laughs> we need higher prices in order to invest, uh, in order to meet the future demands. But the current demands aren't high enough to keep these prices high. So is this complaining or do you think they're being truthful? I think they're being a little bit truthful, but I think it goes back to the point that this, this moves in cycles. So if you game it out, you see that the input cost, because the demand is low, the, the price of these materials is lower. And because of that, these companies aren't going to open as many mines as they otherwise would because they're not going to get much return for it. But what does that do to the input cost of the cars? Well, that makes it cheaper to make those cars. And if those cars are cheaper to make, then companies who are trying to boost sales can cut the cost of their cars to the consumer without suffering too much on their margins which then increases the demand of the cars and the demand of the materials themselves. So it, it's a cyclical thing, and I think they are, they are right in that the prices are low and maybe lower than people expected, especially because of the demand picture coming out of China. There was an expectation that that would be more robust than it is. But I, I don't see this as a, as a long-term problem. It just seems like a near-term issue. Now, it could be a long-term problem in that down the road, the supply is going to be weak because they're not opening mines. That's, that's a definite possibility. But I think this is just another part of the boom bust cycle of commodities. Yeah, and and that is a, a great takeaway here is copper just to commodities in general, they're very volatile. Uh, and they can have an upward trend, but it doesn't change the way their volatility happens. Um, and this also brings me back to the supply side. So many people talk about EVs and try to invest in EVs and the, the, the battery material or the raw materials that are going to be needed, which are a lot more numerous than uh, that go into a, a internal combustion engine engine car. There's a lot bigger supply chain there. Um, <clears throat> but it's not just about that demand. It's about the supply. We've talked before about how lithium, it's e a lot easier to bring lithium supply on versus something like copper, for example. Copper prices are actually 
up on the earnings. Not a lot, but at least they're up. So you can see how while demand may be waning in, 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 to a certain degree, the supply isn't overtaking the current demand like it is in lithium and some of these other materials. So the, the lesson here is that you're going to have ebbs and flows in the cost of raw materials. And uh, ultimately, I think I just think in general, this is not a great place to invest. It's a sexy place to invest, but it, it's there's only very small parts of this entire supply chain that I think are super attractive long term. Definitely not making the cars because that's that's been shown to be a losing endeavor um, for for the most part, and it's extremely cyclical, as as you said. So um, interesting story, and we'll see where prices go next year. All right, let's pivot and move things back to the Best Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier on 888-99-CHART. Hey, Stephen. Justin Bill from Philadelphia here. I'm calling about Peloton. P-T-O-N is the ticker. When the CPI news came out earlier this week, it, it flew about 15%. And other companies such as, you know, Google and Microsoft and, you know, large cap companies also were up closer to like 5%. And then Day after the CPI news, Peloton up another about 8% or so. I know technically the, the stock is not good, definitely a, a COVID-driven stock. But is this an indication that the technicals really don't matter that much and speculation and good news such as you know interest pauses are something that could drive the stock even higher? It seems like every time there is interest news, this stock seems to pop. So once interest rates start coming down, I mean, is it going to go up even though technicals aren't good? Just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on here. Love what you guys do and uh, looking forward to hearing your response. Thank you. Well, the technicals and the fundamentals are not good. So uh, I want to back that up uh, on the technical side with the fact that fundamentals are very poor. They pretty much have always lost money, even during COVID. Even during COVID. They 2021 or 2020 were their best years and they still lost money. Like this has been a terrible business from the start. Um, And so, and and the the answer to your question about interest rate news and movement, can that have a near term effect on it? Sure. But if there's nothing to back it up on the business side, then those short-term gyrations are irrelevant. You know, this has high short interest. Let's see, short interest is about four days. You're talking about 50 million shares outstanding, which is roughly 20% of the float. So you could easily get short-term short squeezes and things like that. But I see zero reason why you want to own this. I think this is a clear bankruptcy candidate in the next uh, year or two. I know you used to have one, Luke, right? Did you still have one? I did used to have one. Lost a money, yeah. a lot of money when I sold it. But uh, th- yeah. that is that is the bike, not the stock. But yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think to his point, uh, the gentleman from Philadelphia, Go Birds, is that a rising tide does tend to raise all boats. But this one's got a lot of holes and leaks in it. And yeah. at the end of the day, a company's fundamentals is always going to be caught up with. And this just has poor, poor, poor fundamentals. Yeah, the whoever is running this company needs to be out. They need to pull a uh, uh, open AI on on this company. Real well, they quick. invited him back, so that doesn't really. Uh, well, the the initial open AI. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> the, the, the CEO needs to be fired. Let's just say That's that. That's what Whoever you mean, the yeah. CEOs. Yeah, it just needs to be gone. They have too much debt. Uh, their free ca- ne- they have negative free cash flow of $306 million. Uh, I'm sure they have a glut of bikes and inventory sitting there. Um, so this is this is a bankruptcy candidate. This equity is going to be worthless probably 24 months, would you say, Luke? Yeah, could be. I think that's that's probably likely. All right, let's keep things moving and play two in a row from our Talk Voice Bank. It, it never closes at 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin. I have a question about bonds. From my understanding, uh, if interest rates fall, then bond prices will go up. But when you try to buy a bond, I guess, say you buy it at 97 and par is 100, for example, and it yields 5%. Is a coupon, just as an example. So if interest rates fall, does this mean it will go to like 98 or 99, but never past 100? And that coupon yield remains the same? Just having a, need a little clarification on that because it just doesn't seem like it's that much of an increase if interest rates do fall. Perhaps I'm just looking at different bonds or looking at something wrong here. Thanks so much. Love what you guys do. Bye-bye. The answer simply is, yeah, it can go well above $100 uh, at, at par, uh, or $100, which is par. It can go, it can trade at what is called a premium. So we'll use your example, 5% coupon bond. Typically that coupon is fixed. Sometimes you might, you might have a floating rate bond, but most issues are, are fixed rate. It's called a fixed income. So 5% yield, so you buy it at 97, and that means that the prevailing rate in the market for that bond, if it was, say, resold to the market, is probably going to be a bit higher than 5%, maybe five and a quarter, five and a half, I'd have to do the math, but something like that. And But if interest rates fall in general, meaning the new prevailing rate is below five, let's say it's at four and a half then the, that bond is actually going to be trading at a premium, trading at 101, 102, something like that. Now, that doesn't mean you get the 101, 102 unless you sell the bond. You can go sell it, but you give up your coupon. You don't get your coupon anymore. You just go and sell and, and take that gain. Uh, but eventually, once the bond hits maturity, you get $100. You get par, um, as long as there's no default. So, yeah, absolutely, the bond can trade at a premium to par for an interim period until that maturity. Did I cover that completely? Yeah, I think that covers it. I, there's, there's other things that can make it trade above par, like if the credit rating is improved after sure. issuance and, and interest rates don't change. If it's callable and there's a, there's a high likelihood that the company is going to call it, it could trade it above par. But, but yeah, generally speaking, um, the coupon rate always stays the same on issue unless it's floating rate. And uh, yes, it can trade above par. And if it does get called, there, that is a good point. There are, are callable issues uh, where basically the maturity date might be 2027, but it can be called in 2025 or 2026, um, which basically says, hey, the company can buy it back, right, give you your par, and there's usually a premium to that par. So it might be, hey, we're going to pay you 101, 102 instead of 100, uh, and, and you're going to re- they're going to redeem that on you a little bit earlier. Um, so there, there are some slight uh, intricacies there and for the average person 
you typically don't get the best bond prices through your bond desk at your broker. Uh, it's usually best to buy it kind of in bulk through an institution. That's why what, so we use. Um, so just kind of heads up there if you're buying individual bonds. Let's say you can't do it, but understand that there is a difference there. All right. Let's touch a bit on the news out of the UK. I've, I do think this is a story that will eventually let's say, come to fruition or, or, or come to a head across the world. And this is a report from a UK regulator. And they say they need a digital alternative to relying on Visa and MasterCard for card payments. And they said, regardless of the steps that regulators take. And this is coming from the Futures of Payments Review. And this has been a long-standing complaint across Europe about the reliance on two American fintech companies for their payment structure. They want something homegrown, but obviously they made a little progress throughout the years. Uh, and, and I say, you know, the cost of swiping these cards is expensive for the business owner. And eventually, there likely will be an alternative either coming from government, whether that's a CBDC or uh, some sort of um, government bank account at the Fed that people can run transactions through, kind of like a Venmo. Um, so, Luke, do you think this is them just complaining and not much is going to be done about it? Or do you think there'll be eventually, there will eventually be an alternative to these two dominant networks? You know, that's an interesting question because those two networks have been in place for so long. And the technology for a decade has been there to rectify the no competition problem. So I think the only thing that could maybe stop an alternative, which customers and vendors want, is just the entrenched power of these companies within, uh, you know, the, the regulatory framework of individual companies. But I'm I'm of the opinion that it's it is far too expensive, and alternatives and market competition tend to drag down the costs of things. So I mean, I'm I'm all for it. Yeah, and and I think the the rise of Venmo and Zelle, had, well, uh, first it was Venmo, uh, and then it was Zelle, and, and and Venmo was PayPal, right? And they kind of dominated the online payment market uh, that was beyond kind of uh, Visa, Mastercard, and then Zelle came about and now, and that was actually by a conglomerate of banks, and so it kind of showed that with enough hefts and market size and distribution that these large banks have, you can create an alternative. And I do think eventually they will. And that's why I always think MasterCard and Visa are just trading at too high a premiums to the market uh, with so much potential risk out there for disrupting their model. All right, stock market will be closed tomorrow. Thanksgiving Day, we'll have a best of color question show as well as Friday. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART. The stock market is constantly changing, and serious investors know that they need to modify their portfolio assets to fit the times. And now, with more than 50 million downloads, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on Investalk. 888-99-CHART. Hello, Justin. This is Steve from Boulder, Colorado, and I was just calling for your assessment of the stock Blackstone Incorporated, symbol BX. It's a stock that I've owned for a number of years. 
It's in my growth and income portion of my portfolio. I enjoy listening to your program. And as I listened, I'm trying to turn more into an investor rather than a speculator. And I'm going through and evaluating all the, the holdings that I have. And this is one that it's been a little bit difficult for me. So I'd be interested to hear what your opinion of Blackstone Incorporated is. Thank you. All right, now, Blackstone is the world's largest alternative asset management company, about a trillion dollars under management. And this is spread amongst private equity, uh, credit insurance, real estate. So think of private REITs and hedge funds. And so these are all kind of your private market deals. These are assets that are typically, they're not traded on your exchange. They're typically sold through some sort of broker at Merrill and Morgan who's getting some commission and you're getting a fund that doesn't have a lot of transparency, but you are getting a statement that says it's worth X. Uh, but we know, wasn't Blackstone, wasn't there REIT, the B-REIT? That was one that was recently uh, gated and not everybody who wanted their money out was allowed their money out. Um, which, you know, when you go to these private things, they have those, those, uh, that fine print. And, and so, you know, here you're really betting on the stability and the capital allocation in these private investment vehicles over the last, you know, decade plus in an era of low interest rate. Um, so to me, I think you're going to wake up one day and there's going to be bigger, broader issues than just B-REIT. Um, but that issue may be still a while off. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Luke? I like Blackstone. I think relative to its peers, it's in a better position. I think its margins are better. It's got really low debt. That's why it trades at a premium relative to its competitors. I know they just took out a half a billion dollar credit line to boost their private credit fund, which is all the craze right now. I think if you're looking for financial exposure similar to Blackstone, there aren't better companies with which to do it. Um, but you know, I'd have to know what, what your exposure is in order to figure out, figure out what you should do with it. Yeah, it's it's definitely well run uh, in, in general. Uh, I just once again, I, I just worry about the allocation of capital within these funds and how that ages in a time where, and that, that's just kind of the, the industry in general, not necessarily Blackstone. Just saying, hey, there was a lot of uh, poor lending. You've seen that with kind of the way private equity has been working and, and kind of trading bad deals between different funds and things like that. Uh, and there's just not a lot of transparency. And so, you know, will there be another B REIT type of uh, private fund that is closed to redemptions? Uh, and it may not be actually a Blackstone fund. It could be someone else within the industry. Um, so I'm just kind of giving you the risks that are there. Um, uh, within this space, this is probably the best of the breed. So I would just have more of a stop on it and kind of hold it uh, and maybe sell into the rallies and then kind of lower your risk so you're not overexposed to some kind of out of left field earnings report that suddenly um, is, is a big problem. All right. Uh, lastly, let's. I want to give you get your thoughts quickly, Luke, uh, since you're the crypto expert more than me anyway, on the CZ uh, pleading guilty and stepping down from uh, Binance. Yeah, you know, so the reason he stepped down is primarily because of money laundering. 
Um, so essentially what happened is his exchange, which became the largest crypto exchange in the world, was, and they proved it through internal communications, knowingly skirting U.S. law by not creating systems in one part to prevent financing terrorist organizations and in the other part um, trading or allowing Americans to illegally trade options. So what this really is, is he is now forced to step back. He's able to maintain his ownership, but one of the big, another one of the big crypto titans has fallen. Not a shock. Not a shock shock at all. (laughs) All right. I'm Justin Klein with Luke Guerrero, and this completes another Invest Talk program. We thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. And check out our new InvestTalk Classroom series. It's now up, and it's a Q&A session with Luke and I with our listeners' submitted questions. All right, independent thinking, shared success, this Invest Talk. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.